This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not contain or replace any legal advice. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Privacy in Public podcast. In this episode, we'll be looking at some of the fun things that are all to do about collection of personal information. So we'll be looking at APP3 and APP5. Joining me today is the wonderful Olivia Crisp. Olivia is a lawyer in our public law team in Canberra who only started working on privacy matters a little over 12 months ago. So she's got up to speed really quickly. We'll be looking at some of the really tricky things about APP3 and APP5, which will hopefully allow you as government agencies to um, really understand what it's all about. So welcome to the show, Olivia. Thank you. Thank you very much, Catherine. I'm very happy to be here. So why don't we start by, why don't you just take us through by telling us what APP3 actually says. So firstly, it's really important to understand that APP3 makes a really clear delineation between the collection of personal information that is sensitive information and also personal information that is not sensitive information. And today our discussion will centre around the collection of sensitive information as This is really the type of information that requires the highest level of privacy protection. But going back to your initial question, Catherine, a APP entity, which it's a Commonwealth agency and or a private sector organisation, must not under APP3 collect personal information unless that collection of personal information is reasonably necessary for or directly related to one or more of the um, APP entities, functions or activities. And with respect to sensitive information, which as I've highlighted, requires a high level of protection, an APP entity must not collect sensitive information about an individual unless that individual has consented to the collection. And unless that collection, again, is reasonably necessary for or directly related to that APP entities, functions and activities. And of course, we've then got the exceptions under APP3. <laughs> There's always exceptions in the APPs, yeah. isn't there, Olivia? Always. <laughs> so when you're, so if our um, listeners are trying to figure out wh- what their um, functions and activities are, what are some of the things they need to think about? It, it's a great question, Catherine, and it's something we certainly find that we're, we're certainly advising all of our um, clients on. And The first step I would say is to identify what are the current functions and activities of the organisation. And the next step, once you've identified those current functions, would be to identify those proposed functions and activities of the APP entity. And then there's a final step, which is to identify those activities that the organisation carries out in support of its other functions and activities. So for example, this could be health services, employment services, etc. And this, we found, is very relevant when mapping out what the use of the information will be. Can you expand a little bit on that further, Olivia? Like, why is it important for APP entities to do this? It's very important at the outset that APP entities have a really clear understanding of what their functions and activities are so that they can ascertain if the collection of an individual's personal information will be directly related to the APP's functions and activities. And if not, if any exception under APP 3.4 would permit the collection of the information. Oh, so what you're saying is that there's got to be a really clear link. You have to document that link between your functions and activities as, you know, set out in your AAOs, your administrative order, or 
otherwise one of the exceptions has to apply. So what are those exceptions? That's a great question. And there's certainly a number of exceptions under APP3, but um, in particular, there's two exceptions that we commonly see um, APP entities relying on. And the first exception and, and most used we've found in our experience is the exception that the collection of personal information is authorised by an Australian law or by an order made by a court or tribunal. And then the second exception is where a permitted general situation can be established under Section 16B of the Privacy Act or a permitted health situation exists under, again, Section 16B of the Privacy Act. And we certainly see these exceptions being utilised by APP entities, but it's really important to note that first and foremost, just as a matter of best practice, it really is best to obtain consent from the individual when collecting their information, especially when, like we've said, that that information is sensitive information. And this just assists with ensuring compliance with APP5, which we can also talk about in a bit. That's a lovely segue, actually, Olivia, into, into APP5. <laughs> so there's sort of a link, really, between APP3 and APP5 that our listeners need to be aware of. There absolutely is. And it's a very important link because APP5 requires that an APP entity that collects personal information about an individual is obligated to take reasonable steps to either notify the individual of certain matters or to ensure that the individual is aware of these matters. And generally, we refer to these as APP5 matters in inverted commas. I, I guess there's, there, there really is a really clear link there, isn't there? Because if listeners aren't aware of what's going to happen with their personal information, they really can't be said to be giving sort of valid consent, can they? No, that's that's absolutely right, Catherine. Yeah. So do you want to tell us, uh, explain what the APP5 matters are? What are the things that, that people need to be aware of when you're collecting your personal information? So APP5 matters are, again, they're set out in APP5 for those of our listeners who would like to find those. And they're specific matters which should, where applicable, obviously, they should be covered by an APP entity's collection notice. And some of these matters are types of things that would relate to the entity's identity and contact details, the fact and circumstances surrounding the collection of an individual's personal information, whether, the, again, that collection is required by law or if it's authorised by law, the purposes for which the um, APP entity is collecting an individual's personal information, the consequences if an individual's personal information is not collected, and what the APP entity will be doing with that information. So how they will be using and disclosing the personal information that, that will be collected by that APP entity. And also typically a link or information about the entity's APP privacy policy that an individual could view if they so desire. And finally, whether the entity is likely to disclose that personal information they would collect to overseas recipient. And if it's the case that they will be disclosing overseas, it's actually really important that they also state um, the countries to which they're likely to disclose that information. Livia, what's some of the biggest traps you've faced when you've been helping APP entities think about their obligations under APP5? I think one of the biggest difficulties with APP5 is identifying what reasonable steps an APP entity can take to ensure that individuals are aware of the APP5 matters. So we found that the OAIC provides really useful guidance around identifying these reasonable steps. And it's, it's particularly useful because it provides reasonable 
reasonable steps based off the circumstances of the collection. And broadly, some of these are, you know, the sensitivity of the personal information that will be collected, the possible adverse consequences for an individual as a result of that collection, any special needs of the individual. So, for example, steps may be required if personal information is collected from an individual that's from a non-English speaking background or, you know, who may have a disability and may not readily understand what's being set out in an APP5 uh, collection notice and the practicability of including time and the cost involved with obtaining consent. But with that last point, it's it's really important to note that when working with agencies or clients to develop a collection notice that an APP entity or an organisation is not excused from taking particular steps or from providing a collection notice purely because it would be inconvenient, time consuming or costly in order to, to do so. And finally, what I would say in relation to that question, Catherine, is if an APP entity must always consider the reasonable steps that we've outlined today before making a determination about the feasibility or practicability of issuing a collection notice. Okay, so but if you just have a collection notice, is, is that enough? Look, not quite. <laughs> you know, I think, I think by that point, you're sort of about 80% there. You know, it's a very important first step, but it's not the only step of complying with APP5. APP entities, when, when drafting these collection notices, they need to have sort of an air of precision about them. That is, they need to ensure that they're, they're covering all of the matters that we've discussed, but they're also covering them in a way that is clear and, and concise to the individual who would be reading and essentially consenting to their collection of their personal information by reading this notice. Hmm. So just can you just unpack that a little bit more? And how can an entity do that? What our clients do? Yeah, so there's a number of ways. However, I would suggest undertaking something that we've we've coined in our team called user testing, which is the drafting of a collection notice and then testing it from the perspective of an individual who's reading that collection notice for the first time. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to test if all aspects of the collection notice are clear and easily understood by the individual who is consenting to the collection of their information. And we found this can be really useful in in highlighting any weak points in the collection notice that we can easily strengthen with just some minor drafting tweaks. We reviewed a collection notice recently that embedded a link to a department's website for the individual to obtain its contact details, which, as we've discussed, are, are required by APP5. However, the link when we undertook our own user testing took us to the department's homepage as opposed to its contact details page. And from our own user testing, we subsequently recommended to the department that it update the link to direct individuals to its contact details page just for ease of reference and also to comply with APP5, which would also ensure that an individual could, again, quickly and easily obtain the contact details of the department, which it's also really important in this context to, to again, think about who will be reading this collection notice and has it been drafted in a way to make it accessible to the community or a group of individuals whose sensitive information you are seeking to collect. That's interesting. I, I love the concept of user testing and I think it's so important. But what benefits does the agency get out of this? Well, again, ultimately it really does ensure that the agency is complying to any, you know, the extent possible, it's complying with APP5. But 
it's also really useful because it can insist with enhancing the trust and confidence individuals have in the practices of the APP entity. So where the collection notice sets out all of these matters we discussed early on, it really can enhance that trust and confidence that individuals will have in an APP entity with the way that they're handling an individual's personal information they collect. And for those listeners that are interested in in learning more about the importance of building trust and confidence, we discuss this in depth in our, in episode one of our Privacy in Public podcast. Those of you who listened into that episode, you'll remember that I did say that APP1 was perhaps the most important <laughs> of the APPs <laughs> because every single important APP that follows on from that is strengthened and, and they all work together uh, in a really seamless and, and strong way. Well, thanks. That's a, definitely a lot of food for thought today, Olivia. I think you've explained really well why APP3 and 5 are so important and the fact that if you get your collection notice right, that can really help agencies to make sure that they've complied with their privacy requirements. Unfortunately, I think that's all we've got for time for today. So thank you again for listening to our episode two of the Privacy in Public podcast. And special thanks, Olivia, for joining me today. If you've got any burning questions for us, we'd love you to head over to the Maddox website and send us a message or connect with us on LinkedIn. We'd love to hear from you and uh, we'd love to answer any questions that you might have or you might have a comment that we should discuss in more detail. In our next episode, we'll be looking closely at APP6, which is all about the requirements for use and disclosure of personal information. If you like this episode, we'd love you to uh, rate, review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for joining us today.